Welcome into the Scout and the Sports page. I'm the host, Paige Demacos, here with Scout Gary Horton, and we are reacting to week one in the NFL. Real football is finally here, Gary. What was your takeaway overall from week one? Well, Paige, I thought most of the games were exciting, but I was really concerned about the level of play. I, I think with so many of these marquee players not playing now in the preseason, they're not really ready for a great effort in week one. And it almost at times, a lot of these games look like a preseason game, though. But having said that, I think week two will be much better because they now have a game under their belts. And you can practice all you want in the preseason and during training camp, but nothing matches the speed of a real NFL game. And I think a lot of teams probably weren't ready for that on Sunday. Yeah, something that I found very interesting that Rodney Harrison and Tony Dungy brought up during Sunday Night Football's broadcast was that they think that they should shorten the preseason to two preseason games and then coaches would actually play their starters because I think I completely agree with you. Week one was very sloppy. Uh, I look specifically at the Arizona Cardinals, a team that looked like they hadn't played collectively as a football team, but David Johnson looked slow where we know he's not slow and ended up getting injured. Uh, Carson Palmer looked a atrocious and I think across the league overall the the theme was what a sloppy overall week one uh when we look at football altogether yeah and and I think that will be the key will be what does week two look like is it dramatically improved and we it surely should be but uh Hey, it's still football, it's still the NFL, and it was an exciting start to the season. Yes, it definitely was an exciting start, and we're going to get into 10 observations, and at the end we're going to get three overreaction headlines, because that is what Monday is, overreaction Monday as I like to call it, because everyone sees one game and reacts like we just watched an entire football season. But that's what happens, especially on week one, because there's a lot of excitement, football's finally back, and what do we do in the media? We overreact to just about everything. So (laughs) first we will get into your observations and that is the Thursday night football game, the upset of the weekend, and that is the Kansas City Chiefs going into New England and beating the New England Patriots. My question to you is, did Andy Reid out-game plan Bill Belichick? I tell you what, Paige, it certainly looked like it. When I watched the film on Friday, I was really surprised at all the adjustments Kansas City made, and New England made almost no adjustments. In game, before the game, they just didn't look ready to play. But, uh, you know, Marcus Peters, I was under the impression that he was going to go all over the formation with Brandon Cooks. I drank the Kool-Aid like everybody else. And Andy wound up leaving Marcus Peters on the left side of the defense. Uh, Tom Brady basically avoided that side. And so now Kansas City only had to defend one side of the defense. And they did a great job. Uh, doing that. Also, offensively, they, the way that they uh, used Tyreek Hill and then they used their tight end, Kelsey, they put him in the backfield. They ran some read option. Uh, they ran some draw plays. They were very creative with their offensive play calling. And Alex Smith actually threw a deep ball, something we hadn't <laughs> seen, you know, uh, all preseason. So, I thought it was a brilliant game plan by Andy Reid. Two things I want to bring up. One is that something you spoke about in a previous podcast was that Patrick Mahomes and that gunslinger mentality seemed to have rubbed off on Alex Smith, which I saw because I haven't seen 
that Alex Smith in a football game since I think that Monday or Thursday night football against the New England Patriots a couple of seasons ago. The other thing to the game planning part is Kareem Hunt. Wow. New England looked like they did not make any adjustments at all to him and had no answer for him throughout the game, which from a scout perspective, Gary, when you look at that is unusual for Bill Belichick. No, and I think the Patriots have some real problems on defense. They have no edge rush, which means their their pass coverages have to hold for so much longer than they would like. But I was really surprised that inside, Hunt really hurt them between the tackles, yards after contact. They just did a great job. They got him into space. The way that Kansas City dictated the individual matchups, uh, his, if I'm not mistaken, his uh, really nice touchdown catch, uh, I think, came off a, a matchup versus an outside linebacker. Well, that's a matchup he's going to win every time. So I, I think defensively, you know, New England's got some real things to figure out, and I'm not sure they have the answers to them all. The next game, the next observation we're going to move into is the Jacksonville Jaguars, and I bought into the hype with Houston overall that they were going to have a little extra something going into this game because you think J.J. Watt now raising $31 million for the city of Houston. They're playing at home. The ovation J.J. Watt got. But maybe I was overvaluing Tom Savage and what I thought they were going to be able to do and undervaluing Jacksonville's defense. My question to you is do you think Jacksonville's defense is for real because they definitely have some key pieces there, but 10 sacks, my oh my, that was a great game. Oh, I think they are for real, and I think that Jacksonville has found a formula for winning. We're going to play great defense. We're going to get the ball back to our offense. We're going to run the football on offense and control the clock, and we're not going to ask our quarterback to win the game, and that's exactly what they did. I, I know that they've really improved their front seven in the last couple of off seasons. They've spent a lot of money. Your guy, Kalei Campbell, Wow, he was unblockable, uh, you know, yesterday. But I think where they really now have an advantage is they have two corners uh, in Ramsey and Boy that are really outstanding man guys. That gives them a lot of blitz, blitz flexibility. And I think that they can play a lot of different schemes because they finally have two corners that can lock down your receivers and the pressure that they can bring from a lot of different angles is really, really good. So I think they are for real. They're going to be a tough out. They're not going to be always exciting every week, but I think they're going to be a physical, a lot of low scoring games, and they're going to win on defense. I really believe that. Yeah, big game for my boy Calais Campbell. Love seeing him uh, be able to go to Jacksonville and make an impact right away. Three and a half sacks for the big boy. I, I, I love seeing that, but We'll move to Houston, and Cincinnati will tie them both in here. Tom Savage starts the game for Houston. Deshaun Watson comes in in the second half. Tom Savage was, in a nice way, awful. And in Cincinnati, Andy Dalton looked like he didn't remember how to play quarterback. Now, I do like the Ravens' defense, but not that much. Not to where I'm seeing Andy Dalton, a guy who has pieces around him and a veteran guy, look like he hasn't played football in a while. So when you look at both Houston and Cincinnati, do you see major issues for both of these teams on the offensive side of the ball? Well, I do, and I think it starts with their offensive lines. I think both offensive lines were horrible 
Uh, I mean, the defenses against them, you know, had success whether they pressured or they just sat back, sat back and rushed three or four. Uh, and I think that's going to be a problem the entire season because both of these quarterbacks are not very good when you pressure them and when they have guys in their face. Uh, Andy Dalton was just awful. He made bad decisions. He got a lot of passes tipped. He didn't find good throwing lanes. And I, I think Houston's going to have to, you know, go from Savage to Watson and, and start this thing over. But I think they were both shocked at how poorly they played at home. And uh, they've got to get back to running the football, playing better defense, and hopefully get more consistent quarterback play. But Cincinnati has more weapons than Houston. But uh, I, I, I just don't know where these teams are offensively. I think defensively they'll be okay. But offensively, I think that uh, they are really, really challenged. And you're dealing with two fan bases that are probably not very happy today. Oh, absolutely, especially in Houston when you thought that football was going to give them the one thing that they could maybe rally around together, and what a disaster that was. Looks like Tom Savage is not going to be enough. Do you think Deshaun Watson is going to be the quarterback now a lot earlier than they anticipated? I would sure think so. I I think O'Brien has maybe no other option now the thing that'll be hard for him is he puts a lot on his quarterback's plate mentally and he's going to have to dummy thing things down for uh for watson a lot of half rolls bootlegs half field reads and he's not going to be able to do at the line of scrimmage which they were what they would ask savage to do but having said that he'll bring a spark to the offense he'll make more plays He'll make plays with his feet, and I know it's just one week, but Savage, to me, looked just like a game manager and nothing more. Yeah, absolutely. I would 100% agree with that. Now let's look at the defensive side of the ball. Another observation from this game is the Baltimore Ravens defense. Now part of it, I think, is Andy Dalton not being very good in that Cincinnati team, but the Ravens, a different philosophy maybe going forward. They added a couple of pieces, a Tony Jefferson, a guy from Arizona I think of right off the top of my head. Is this now going to be an elite defense that they've had in past years where they've been able to you know, overcome not having a great offense with an elite defense? Well, you know what? They've said it all summer that they really liked their defense. They thought that was their key to winning football games. I wasn't sure they were that dominating, but what I saw in the preseason in week one, their pass rush is really good, but they're really stout inside. I mean, they are a tough team to run on between the tackles. They've also quietly revamped their pass defense. Uh, Weddle and Jefferson might be as good as you can get at safeties. Ladarius Webb is now a third safety when they go to those three safety packages. So I think they they feel much better about their pass defense because a year ago their front seven was good, but they gave up a lot of big plays on the back end. I think that's going to be the difference this year. And offensively, they know what they are. Uh, the thing I love about them yesterday, even though they're not a dynamic run team, they stayed with the run. Uh, 42 rushes, only 17 passes. That's what we've been waiting to see, you know, for the last couple of years when they've had the habit of bailing on the run when it's not working. And I think that's their formula for success.
uh, again, they're not going to be an exciting team. We talked about Jacksonville. Baltimore is going to win ugly. Defense, uh, time of possession, and don't turn the ball over on offense. And we'll win some games with the best kicker in football. Yeah, I think it's going to be very interesting to see the Ravens in Pittsburgh because I was a little disappointed in what I saw from Pittsburgh yesterday. And I think it's going to be interesting to see those two teams match up offense versus defense as this year goes on. But we'll move on to, uh, to my team, the Chicago Bears, and also the Cleveland Browns, two teams with little to none in expectations. Yesterday, the Bears go down, drive all the way down the field, and are should have won yesterday's football game if one of the three guys who dropped the, the passes that should have been touchdowns at the end of the game are touchdowns. They go in, they played really well against an Atlanta Falcons team who's very talented, and the Cleveland Browns, the same thing without their number one guy in Miles Garrett. Deshaun Kaiser shows enough. What sh- what do you want to tell both the Bears fan base and the Cleveland fan base about these teams? Because they have something to kind of gravitate towards now. Well, I mean, we know there's no you know character losses in the NFL, obviously, but if I'm a fan of either one of these teams, I like the direction that we're going. My young guys are playing better. Uh, I love the fact that against superior teams, they hung in there and they were around at the end. And I think that serves them well that they're, they may not win a lot of games, but they're both going to be spunky. They're going to give you a great effort and you better knock them out. Now, having said that, I, I think the, the teams that they played, did not play very good football games. Pittsburgh and Atlanta, their offense, I didn't think uh, either offense was very good with the exception of Antonio Brown for Pittsburgh. So I think it's a combination of both of these teams caught explosive offenses on an off day. But I just like the idea that in the fourth quarter they were still in this thing and they were they were playing hard. And I would think the key in Chicago – is when do we play Trubisky? You know, to me, Mike Glennon was solid. He was resilient. But I think that's what he is. I don't think he can get any better. And I would love to see pretty soon the Bears say, let's go to Trubisky and see if he can add a spark to this offense. Because right now they're one-dimensional. Jordan Howard, Howard run game, and that's just about it. Yeah, and I think, unfortunately for them, Kevin White goes down with a season-ending injury again. They don't have much as far as a wide receiver goes, and Mike Glennon isn't a guy who can get things going with his feet, whereas Mitch Trubisky is a guy who has a lot of athleticism, can make those throws on the run, and can, and can get some plays with his feet. Uh, if, you ask, uh, if you ask my father, the Bears fan aficionado, he would tell you that it's time to go to Trubisky. I would like to wait and see a little bit longer. But I do think yesterday's game, with everything being said, would have been very interesting to see what young Trubisky could have done in, in those key moments down the stretch. Yeah, and how about our little guy from North Carolina A&T? Oh, yeah, Tariq. What a, spark, what a spark he brought to the offense. Yeah, it's time, it's time to start drafting Tariq Cohen. I've been saying, I've been preaching it for a couple of weeks, and maybe some people will start listening to me. But uh, I think Tariq Cohen, I saw what he did here in Arizona uh, when the Chicago Bears and the Arizona Cardinals met up in preseason, and he was electric. 
putting it nicely. And uh, Jordan Howard did not play in that game, but I knew because of their lack of wide receiving depth, I knew that Cohen was going to have to step up into a different role. You saw one of those packages where he went down uh, on a deep threat and almost caught the ball if it hadn't been deflected by a uh, Atlanta Falcons uh, DB in the end zone. But he's a guy who can, he's very fast and he's a great running, he's a great running back. So I think they're going to use him a lot in that offense and that makes him very highly valuable in a fantasy football league. And he gives them a passing game weapon that they sorely need. And that is that is the understatement of the century. Yeah. <laughs> but we will That's we're gonna, we're gonna take we're gonna take a quick break and we will be right back. So Gary, just so you know, we're gonna make it easier on Chris, our producer. He has to go in and add uh he has to go in and add advertisements through blog talk and i haven't been i haven't been leaving him ad breaks so when i do something like that we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back uh just just an easier thing for him how's our time are we we uh in sync yep we're perfect so we're going to spend about 15 more minutes going through the rest of the five and then we're good to go all right all right yep three two one Back here with the last five observations from this week's NFL Week 1 with Gary Horton. Gary, we'll get into this. I am surprised. There were not many fans at the L.A. Rams game to watch this game, but where in the heck did that come from, and should we be praising Sean McVay this early on for this L.A. Rams success? Well, I'll tell you what, and I watched, watched the game. I was in shock because they have looked so bad all through the preseason Jared Goff, uh, I just had no faith in him. I don't know if this is a case of the Rams all of a sudden coming together or the Colts being worse than we thought because they that's a topic for another day. But this Indianapolis team without Andrew Luck is really, really in trouble, and they could be the first team to implode. But having said that, the Rams' Jared Goff got into a nice flow in this offense. Again, not great coverages by the Colts, but it just looked like that their play calling was good. Uh, you know, they they knew what they were doing. Todd Gurley was okay. He had a clean pocket. His receivers were separating. They just they looked like an NFL team. And then, uh, you know, I, I think people forget about Wade's, you know, his his defense. Wade Phillips did a great job. Again, against an offense that really had no explosiveness to it. But uh, this is going to be a better Rams team than I think we probably think because defensively they don't have a lot, you know, of adjustments to make. They're already a pretty good defense, and they'll be better with Aaron Donald back into the lineup. And offensively, at least what we saw on Sunday, they look like they have a chance to start gelling and, you know, when the passing game goes good, then the defense has to uh, sit back, and that opens things up for Gurley. And, uh, yeah, I would say you've got to credit their coaching staff. I thought they called a really nice game, and as I said at the beginning, there just seemed to be a flow to this offense that I hadn't seen before. Yeah, I think uh, I've always wanted to not, I don't want to say uh, defend Jared Goff, but give Jared Goff the opportunity to be under a offensive type mind 
as a head coach because Jeff Fisher, we all know, was a defensive guy. And now he's got Sean McVay there, who's an offensive guy, who's who's coaching now Jared Goff for the first time. And I, and I was kind of in a wait and see with Jared Goff because he hasn't really had the proper opportunity to show us what he can do. And I'm not saying I was overwhelmed, but I thought he did a I thought he did a very nice job yesterday for the LA Rams. And overall, defensively, I don't think they're gonna be scoring as many points for you as they did yesterday because I just think Scott Tolzien and that overall that offense in Indianapolis is horrendous, Gary. Oh it, it is. And I don't you talk about the Colts. They have problems that I don't think are fixable. Yeah. And uh you know I, I think they've got to now look at do we even want to bring Andrew Luck back and play in front of this offensive line and on this team that's awful, awful, or do we want to tear this thing down and start over again? I think that's a, a, a legitimate question that they may have to ask. Yeah, I would uh, I would err on the Jim Ears say, I think it's time for you to realize you have a precious quarterback and do not put him out there under any circumstances because you're just asking him to get injured. But that's a podcast topic for another day because we could spend 45 minutes talking about what's wrong with the Colts. We'll move on to some good that we saw, and that is the Oakland Raiders, soon to be Las Vegas Raiders. But wow, oh wow, them going into Tennessee, a team that I really like, the Tennessee Titans, and playing a very good football game. What did you like most about the Raiders, and should Raiders fans be very excited that they had a team go on the road against a good team and have a pretty pretty easy matchup and pretty easy victory? Well, and I think, Paige, if there is such a thing as a character win, you know, we talk about no character losses, but a character win, this is was it, because this is a game that would have been easy to lose for a young team, but they showed maturity. I love Derek Carr at the line of scrimmage. He made good decisions. He was accurate. Uh, he read the Tennessee defense very well. But I had two big takeaways. I wondered about their running game. I, I didn't see enough in the preseason to have a real feel for Marshawn Lynch. But I thought he ran very hard. His 18 carries, for me, was a real positive sign that he can handle a, a heavier workload because they're going to need him on first and second downs. And also, I think people forget, they need him in the fourth quarter when they have a lead. They need his physicality to close out games. And I saw that yesterday, that that certainly is a real possibility for this offense. And then the second thing that I think they have to come away feeling really good about is their tight end production. They've tried for years to get passing production from the tight end. They haven't had it. Well, Jared Cook looked really good yesterday, and with their outside receivers, he's going to have a lot of room to work inside versus safeties and linebackers, and I think he's going to be a big part of this offense. So I really like the way they're headed, and I think they'll only get better because you know, Carr is going to get better week in, week out, and he'll bring everybody else with him. Yeah, I think the Raiders have a lot to like there. Derek Carr is one of those guys who not only is a football player, but as a man, I think there's a lot to like as far as leadership qualities go, especially Marcus Mariota I could say the same thing about. But I think Raiders fans have a lot to be excited about when you saw what they did in a week one where a lot of people were sloppy, and they looked like to be pretty in sync, and Marshawn Lynch seemed to answer the questions, especially towards the end of the game where he goes in and really puts – 
get some serious yardage, had some explosiveness that I I was questioning, which I will no longer question. But let's move on to the game that I was most excited to watch this weekend, and I think it was uh, it was a little slow at the beginning, picked up in the second half, and that's Green Bay and Seattle. What did you like most about Green Bay and Seattle, both of these teams? I think Seattle offensive line, my biggest takeaway from this game overall is what you and I had talked about earlier, is that this offensive line is so bad, it doesn't matter how good Seattle's defense is. If they cannot do anything offensively and keep those guys off the field, they're not going to be able to match up with a Green Bay, say, in January, in the cold, in Lambeau Field. No, and you're right, Paige. They, I mean, they, you know, we've talked about before, they spent no money on this offensive line, so you really get what you pay for. And you're right, they can't, they can't, the run game was non existent. Uh, you know, the quarterback's running for his life. Until they get that fixed, I think they're in, uh, in a little bit of trouble. But I did like both defenses. I, I thought you had to look, at first, you would say this is a sloppy game. There was a lot of chippiness. Both offenses that we really wanted to see explosive plays didn't give us that. But I thought defensively both teams played very well. We expected it from Seattle, not as much from Green Bay. But I think this is more of a situation of two really good heavyweight teams canceling each other out. And that does, you know, when we if you made a fight analogy, sometimes fight styles aren't always pretty. And this wasn't a pretty game, but it was a physical game. And I I think these teams will probably see again in January, and hopefully they'll look a lot different offensively the next time around. Yeah, the thing is, and, and I totally agree with you, I do think these two teams are the teams to fight with in the NFC. The issue for me is I cannot buy into Seattle offensively at all with that offensive line play because it doesn't matter if you think you're going to go into Lambeau Field and beat Green Bay on their home field in a playoff game. That is not going to happen if Russell Wilson does not have any time at all to throw the ball, and they could not develop a run game whatsoever. And I think those are major issues. If you're a Seattle Seahawks fan, you're not worried about the defense. The defense is elite, but that offense looked terrible. No, and no run game means no play action. So you have, you have, you know, no surprises there. No, I, I agree. And I, we talked about this page in the preseason. You know, I think sometimes teams get sort of caught up into when they have a really outstanding offensive line coach and they have Tom Cable, who's one of the best. I think they, teams think, you know what? We'll coach them up. We don't have to draft or acquire great talent our coaching will make these guys better. And I think you can sometimes make mistakes doing that because every every team has a good coach. You know, Dallas has a good coach, but you know what? They also have a bunch of first-round draft picks. Yeah. So I, I, I think that's the key. If I'm not mistaken, I think I saw a uh, a number at the beginning of the season that under 5% of their salary cap has been allotted to the offensive line. That's not very good. No, it's not very good, and it's an NFL record low for spending on an offensive line, and wow, you just uh, – I'll never understand what Indianapolis or Seattle are doing when you have franchise quarterbacks and you're not spending the money to protect them because it just doesn't make sense long-term. If I was an NFL owner, that is not the strategy that I would have. 
but we will move on again to this game, uh, a game that I called the Toilet Bowl of the week, and that was the Jets <laughs> and the and the Buffalo Bills playing each other. Now, I thought both of these teams going into the game uh, I thought could be candidates for tanking uh, some of the things that Buffalo had done in the offseason, trading away Sammy Watkins, Tyree, Tyrod's number one overall receiver. Now, I want to hear your observations from this game and kind of what you think both teams' strategy is going forward. Well, I think the Jets, you can absolutely talk about tanking because, you know, they've gotten rid of a lot of high-priced veterans. They have not replaced them. They've not been aggressive uh, in, in really in free agency at all. The lack of weapons on that team is startling. I mean, they have absolutely nobody to hang their hat on. But when you look past it, then you start to maybe understand a little bit, you know, that these are high-priced guys that they got rid of. Uh, I think that they probably say, hey, we're in the middle of a rebuild by the time we're good enough to be competitive, these guys will be out of the league. So why don't we cut our losses now and start trying to figure out a way to go younger? Uh, maybe that's just giving them a free pass, but maybe there is a method to their madness. Is we're going to have to, uh, you know, suck it up for a couple of years, but at least we're not carrying a bunch of contracts on over the hill, you know, veteran guys. Now Buffalo, I think, is a different situation. You've got a new coaching staff. I think the when they've gotten rid of players, they're doing it because they want guys to fit their schemes. Ronald Darby, they shipped off to Philadelphia. Everybody said, oh, they're tanking. But Ronald Darby is a man-to-man press cover guy, and this team, Buffalo, wants to play zones. They want to play cover three. He doesn't fit what they want to do. Sammy Watkins was a guy that they probably were not going to be able to re-sign in the offseason. So they made a decision, let's cut our losses now. So I think there's a method to their madness. I think they're trying to reshape the roster to fit the kind of players they want. But uh, how do you convince both really good fan bases, you know, that we're really, we're really trying to win? And how in the world are you going to keep fan bases excited for the next couple of years while you rebuild this thing and probably going to lose a lot of football games. Yeah, New York and Buffalo, both of those organizations have crazy football fans, and my, oh, my, it is not a good time to be a fan of either of those teams. And like you said, it's hard to pitch the idea of tanking, and it looks like that's what the Jets are doing. And Buffalo, like you said, a little bit of something alike there, but still going forward, how do you how do you compete in that division? You're not going to. The last observation here, Sunday Night Football, I was very surprised at what I saw from the New York Giants, uh, or what I didn't see from the New York Giants is what I should say. Now, Odell Beckham Jr. was not playing, so I will put that as a clause. But what did you see from or not see from the Giants that made you have a cause for concern in that Sunday night football matchup? Well, I saw the same thing that I saw all preseason. I saw last year. This is an offense that is so predictable. Three wide receivers, short passing game. We depend on yards after catch by Odell Beckham Jr. And we're a very easy offense to to defend, you know, because we're more concerned about execution than we are trying to trick you or matchups. I thought Dallas did a nice job defensively. They put pressure on an offensive line that the tackle positions are a disaster right now. 
the Giants have no running game, and Brandon Marshall was a non-factor. So all of a sudden for Dallas, it became a very easy offense to defend. I never felt like the entire game that the Giants had any chance to create big plays or get back into the game, even though the score did not necessarily reflect that. And then offensively, Dallas was Dallas. They do what they always do. They they grind the ball. They they don't turn it over. Ezekiel Elliott looked the same as he always does. I was a little surprised that the Giants weren't better on defense. I loved them in the preseason, and I don't think they had the game that they thought they would have. And, and I thought Dallas controlled the flow. They controlled the time of possession. It was exactly how they win football games, and I think the Giants, that's exactly how they're going to lose games unless their defense carries them. Yeah, a little bit reminded me of what happened in the Seattle game as well where you're expecting your defense to carry you, but you get a little tired after you've been out on the field the whole time because Eli Manning's going three and out (laughs) offensively. The Giants just didn't do enough offensively to keep their defense off the field, and I think there was – you know, some of some things to like from them defensively. I think Odell Beckham Jr. comes back and that offense is a completely different thing. But uh, my biggest takeaway from that game was I thought that Brandon Marshall was going to be somewhat of a factor. He didn't even see a ball in the first half. I was very confused as to what they were doing offensively and why they weren't trying at least to utilize Brandon Marshall. And, and Evan Ingram, their, their rookie tight end, uh, he wasn't really a factor. I thought, boy, this guy will be a an interesting guy to get the ball to. I, I just, it did not look like a very imaginative game plan uh, to me at all, but it, but it never does. Mm-hmm. You know, they've had success because Eli has been really good on the short passing game, but he relies on big plays after the catch, and he didn't have that guy on the field last night, and I think that's a, uh, a huge difference in their offense. All right, Gary, the last thing we're going to get to is uh, three things that you have no idea what's coming at you. It's just three overreaction headlines that I put together from the weekend. And the first one is, question mark, is Carson Palmer done, question mark? Wow. I, I, I don't think he's done, but I was really worried about him yesterday. I, I know he had a tired arm. They said late last year he didn't do much in the preseason. I'm hoping this is a one-game aberration, but I really worried about his accuracy. There was no, there, there was no synergy to this passing game. He didn't seem to be in sync with his receivers. He overthrew a lot of balls, no accuracy. And my fear is that because their offensive line is not very good, they're going to have to stay with all those three- and five-step drops to get the ball out. Uh, and avoid taking all those hits. And that really hurts their vertical passing game, which he loves, Bruce Arians loves, but I don't know if they have time for those seven-step drops. So I think this offense page, I do because you're there. I would be really concerned. I would I would wait one more week and see if, all right, we shook the cobwebs off. Again, we didn't play in the preseason hardly at all. So week two will be a lot better, but uh, I'm not sure that's the case. I think there's 
a little bit of a reason to panic in Arizona. Absolutely, especially if they do not go to Indianapolis and beat a very bad Indianapolis Colts team, it is officially panic button time. Something that happened while we were doing the podcast is the news on David Johnson came out that he will be out for a significant portion of the season. That is bad news for the Arizona Cardinals as he was going to be, in most people's opinion, the best running back in the league this year, the most effective, and that's obviously going to hurt this offense going forward. Now, the second overreaction headline of the weekend is... Are the Oakland Raiders now the favorite for the Super Bowl team this year? Well, yeah. I think, again, after week one, it's too early to count New England out when you talk about the AFC, right? Yes. I I think it's too early to count New England out, but I think the problems that we saw on Thursday night versus Kansas City are real, and I'm not sure that they can fix them. So they may not be the complete super team that we thought. I think the Raiders will get better week in and week out. They're a young team, but I think they have deficiencies on offense, especially in their secondary, that they think they've fixed, but I'm not sure they have. And I, my feeling is somewhere along the line, pass defense is going to be a real problem for them. They're going to give up a lot of big plays. And based on what I saw that last Thursday night, Kansas City all of a sudden is right in the mix because they don't have a lot of weaknesses, although Eric Berry's loss is, is huge to them. So I think Oakland is trending in the right direction, and they're a young team that will get better. But I think the AFC all of a sudden after week one got a lot more interesting because it's obvious to a lot of people that New England's not going to run off with this. Yeah, and I think that's always how football is. I think more so this season, more than any season before, we were willing to crown the New England Patriots too early. But now, let's look at the last overreaction of this weekend, and that is, are the Giants a bad football team? Your response. I think they're a good defense. I think they're a bad offense. And I don't know that they can fix the offense. I don't don't see any hope of a good run game. I think... Their offensive line, especially their tackles, were really exposed versus Dallas, who doesn't have a great pass rush. I mean, they're going to face a lot better pressure defenses, you know, from now on. And I think, and we've said it, I hate to, to keep saying it over and over, but it's an easy offense, I think, to defend because, you know, if, if I sit back and I take away the short passing game, you know, and I come up and I tackle – and I don't allow those yards after contact, and I double or triple Beckham Jr., I have a game plan on defense that will work. And I just I don't know that they can make adjustments uh, that they need to make. I think Eli is starting to fade a little bit. I don't like what I see there. And I just don't think that they have the explosive playability beyond Beckham Jr. that you need when you play the elite teams. I, I think they're headed for a, a, a little bit of a, a maybe a, a rocky year. However, with the exception of Dallas, this NFC East looks p- to be pretty balanced. So maybe they'll be okay, but I, I would be worried if I was a Giants fan. In fact, if I lived in New York City, I might think about moving. 
<laughs> That's funny. When you think about being a, J- a Jets or a Giants fan or a Buffalo fan, good Lord, the state of New or, York. Or, or a Knicks fan. Yeah, really, you could just throw it all in there. Minus the Yankees, uh, you really got nothing going on too good up in uh, in the New York state. But, Gary, I want to thank you so much for uh, for joining me today. You guys can find Gary's 10 NFL observations on fanregsports.com every Monday. And there's also going to be a new video component coming next week, so you can look forward to that. Uh, but for Gary Horton, I'm Paige Demakos. This has been The Scout and the Sports Page.